All right, so this week we're trying something a little different with Eva from Wellacopia. You might have remembered her from one of our previous episodes, and I'll link to your episode in the notes. But she runs a business for Spoonies, being a Spoonie herself. Just like I am, I don't know if I'd call this a business or not, but it certainly takes up most of my free time. So, And I'm definitely a Spoonie, so we're going to talk today about what it's like to run a business as a Spoonie for Spoonies. So what is, you want to explain your business for anyone who hasn't looked at it yet? And we'll definitely link to you in the show notes. Absolutely. So, hey, even. <laughs> uh, so my business is Wellacopia, which is a matching platform for Spoonies like ourselves to the most compatible health practitioners, and that could be wellness or medical. And what makes Wellacopia really special is that when I talk about matching, not saying like a filter system, but it functions just like a dating site. So we're talking compatibility and human connection uh, based on more than even just your diagnosis, but you know, connecting with that individual as a human and then connecting with you as such uh, so that you can have better outcomes and quality of life. So I'm guessing that this all started because you saw an incredible void for this sort of thing in your own life and in your own experiences of trying to get help for fibro. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, it took me, I, I still don't know the exact number, but like <laughs> four years to be diagnosed with one of them, maybe an extra two years to di- be next, diagnosed with the other. I had fibro and hypermobility syndrome. Uh, so Right there was an indicator that I was not talking to the right doctors. Yeah. Uh, but then also, even when I was diagnosed, I never found the right fit when it came to someone who really understood what I was going through and understood me. Uh, and then I met my now husband on OkCupid, the dating site, and I realized that you could totally apply how you find your mate in life to like your health mate. Okay, so a side note, that whole OkCupid, I know so many people who got matched up there instead of like the other apps. So if you guys are looking for one, I I know a whole bunch of people who met on OkCupid. That seems to be a good one. Yeah, well, unlike Tinder and those swipey ones, (laughs) and and I should say now like Wellacopia, you're matched so much more than like a couple little things. There's like a lot of ongoing questions. Yeah, I love that about Wellacopia was that it really got in depth on like what you're actually looking for from a care provider, like emotionally even. And I think that gets left out a lot. So I was really impressed with your business model and I can't wait for it to like grow into like out my way to California. <laughs> well, we're actually trying to grow in, with remote practitioners now more than anything because I mean, telehealth exists. There are doctors who um, use telemedicine, which means like phones, um, video chat, stuff like that. Uh, but there will always be location specific specialists like yeah. therapists and acupuncturists. Uh, but so much can be done online now. And like I'm, I'm in New York city and I thought it was going to expand in New York really fast. Uh, over half of our users are from different States and a few from different countries. So yeah. <laughs> got to focus on that remote care. <laughs> it's amazing the things that you um, you learn in the first few months of running a business or the first year of like where the holes are. There's no way to know where the holes are until you start. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I've noticed is a whole bunch of us Spoonies is that a lot of us own our own businesses or are running things without bosses because, I mean, at least for me, there's no way I could have ever 
had a boss and shown up anywhere on time on specific days, which drives me to distraction because I never know whether I'm walking or getting out of bed that day. Is that like helpful for you to not have like a boss or is that more stressful to not have a boss? Ooh, that's a good question. Because <laughs> I think it goes both ways. Sometimes it's easier when yeah. you have like other people you can point to and go, no, that's your job. <laughs> it's definitely both uh, because I love being my own boss and that I get to live life as I want to live it. Uh, I have a say in what I do and when. But despite me being a great planner, really organized, and generally very motivated, man, being your own boss is really difficult. Really difficult when you're at <sighs> someone telling you to get up or to go do this now rather than something else. And when you're sick, it's almost easier. Like it's easy to go, well, I can't today. Like there's just, I can't. And then it's like, okay, but when? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The, I can't, the, I can't happens more towards the end of the day for me. Yeah. And a really good adrenaline rush from waking (laughs) up early. People ask if I'm an early riser. I'm not actually sure. I'm like kind of forcing myself to be like my dream is to be able to get up at 5 a.m. every day feeling energized. Wow. Um, you are 27. <laughs> <laughs> I am not. My goals are a little different. I, I would like to be semi-functional at some time during the day. It would be great. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember back to being your age. And I mean, like, I'm not, I don't mean to sound condescending at all. I think you are, you are amazing. You rock. I'm just trying to remember 27 because I'm 40 now. And I think we probably are pretty similar in health wise, because I think when I was your age, when I was your age in the dinosaur era, um, I was definitely sick, but I was still able to like push forward with a lot more things. I thought I was going to teach and I was going to run my photography business. Um, and I did run a photography business for 10 years and the success from that felt very different than what I'm looking for from this round of running something for you. Do you like, do you have a definition for what success would look like with Willacopia? Is it financial or is it like, um, how you feel or is it like having a purpose? I've been trying to concretize if that's a word, what my, we can make uh, it a word. (laughs) vision is um and what what i see as success for willacopia it's still a bit vague but i know that i want to have an impact on this community uh and i want for that impact to continuously grow so not just for spoonies but people who might not necessarily identify as spoonies but with different chronic conditions maybe even outside of chronic conditions and ideally willacopia being basically the standard for when you look for healthcare. Wow. I mean, that's like way out there. No, but it's good. The I mean, goals are good. <laughs> I, I, even if you don't have a chronic condition, I think you should always try and find the right practitioner for you, not just based on insurance and location. Not saying those aren't important. Just <laughs> <laughs> no, but they aren't the be all and end all. I mean, they're so like, for me, like I'm so uh, like, I will not have male doctors for, uh, gynecology, like, and I want someone who's super, like, has handled PTSD patients before for that. Like, I have just so many rules for, like, certain kinds of doctors on what I need from different doctors. And it's so rare I actually get what I need, That's so frustrating. And then I feel like I shut down and I'm like, okay, I won't see anyone for another, like, oh, we want to say how long it's been since I've gone to those doctor appointments, but it's been a while. <laughs> so it'd be so great to have, like, more knowledge of your doctor in the forefront. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've created basically a list 
of requirements for my doctors. It was actually, again, kind of like dating, like must-haves and would like to have. <laughs> well, you think about like how important dating is, and you think about how important your health is, and like I can see where that's, you know, you'd really want the good match. I, I see them as truly synonymous, obviously with different goals. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but a healthy life, a happy life, really, that's um, – I, I don't know if there's an exact expression, but having love in your life and having um, a healthy life are really the two components that lead to a happy life. I, I really couldn't agree with you more. Like my husband's my absolute best friend in the world. And like, if I did not have his shoulder to curl up onto at the end of the day, I, that's my rock. Like that's where home is. And it's just where everything feels safe and good. And if you don't have health, which I don't think either of us really has the best of, and I certainly am at ground zero, um, that really does super affect like what you can do and how much joy you can can do outside. And then that leads to I'm babbling, aren't I? God, I need my um oh, you're my fine. brain to come back online. I mean, I didn't mean to say that you don't have joy. It's just that you have to find it in different ways. And I think that's what my whole point was in asking that question of defining success because. My first business, I really defined success in like social media likes, how many clients I had, how busy I was, was one of the biggest things that I was defining success by, how booked I was. Um, also, how much money I was making was definitely a part of like that scratch behind the ears. And those are all quantifiable. They, they were things I could look at a spreadsheet or my calendar and go, oh, I'm doing great. And then I got so sick, I couldn't run the business anymore and I had to shut down and now I have to redefine what success is going to look like because it's not about financial. This I don't make money on this podcast. This is just, this is to give me purpose. This is because I'm in bed so much and I need to feel useful. So it's it's really a, a new tweak for me. And I was curious for you, like, what the, that those goals were for you, what that looks like. Because, you know, when I was your age, it was a very different goal I was looking for. So yeah, that's that was pretty much my my uh, point on that question. I, I'm always yeah, trying to redefine I, it for myself. I agree with you though completely. It definitely was the same with me, where I would focus on quantifiable impact, like you said, uh, with the likes and the comments or people joining Wallacopia. And uh, I recently put this in my I, uh, Asana, which helps you schedule tasks online. Uh, I, instead of like a task, I actually put it in as stop, um, stop making your goals about numbers and make them about impact. Oh. And it doesn't mean impact isn't in numbers. It just means that that shouldn't be what I'm thinking about. Yeah. No, that's yeah. true. Cause like you can get really bummed when you look at and the numbers go, well, numbers always go up and down. And it's like one day you have like a whole bunch of followers or, and then people leave and it's like, no. <laughs> And it's easy to get wrapped up in those those numbers because that's kind of what we're taught to do from when we're kids is like you get a percentage and you're always looking for the higher percentage. Yeah, that's exactly. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> to pick a percentage, that's a better indicator of impact rather than specific numbers. So I was thinking about how many seekers and specialists and my two user types are called seekers and specialists, by the way, uh, <laughs> seekers being the Spoonies chronic condition people. Uh, I was thinking about, okay, by July 1st, six months from now, how many seekers and specialists do I want? Mm. How many bookings do I want? And there to be per month. And I was like, this doesn't really tell me anything. 
it doesn't necessarily tell me that Wellacopia is having the impact that I want or how likely I am to reach those numbers. And even if I don't reach those numbers, does that mean I'm it's not working? And Ooh, yeah. Uh, so I actually made a declaration in my like 2018 <laughs> passion planner uh, saying, well, I don't have it exactly in front of me, but basically <laughs> that Wellacopia will have an enormous impact on uh, the chronic illness community by having, um, I think I did put a number of like 75% bookings and um, with generally general retention, meaning that people are actually actively using it because it is helping because they can easily book practitioners and practitioners can find uh, patients in other ways that exist in this world. So if it's continuing to grow, I know that we're doing something right and that we, we've created something that didn't exist before for this community and um, is really going to change our experience. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's, what, that's what I want to build. I want to create something for us that, that we need, even if we didn't know we needed it. I didn't know I needed it until I started thinking about it. I was like, hmm, what's my biggest pain point in life in a population that I am part of? Well, it's actually my pain. Yeah. But, <laughs> actually my pain. But look, I understand that my pain is my pain. But the, the pain point that I was thinking of was that I couldn't find someone to help me with my pain. Yeah. That includes friends. I, I hear that. I mean, like one of the big things for um, doing the podcast was that it was an embarrassment point for me. Like being weak was never an option for me. And to be sick, I was starting to equate with being weak. And when I was a photographer, I had hidden that I used a cane for two years. And that was really hard to hide, but I did. And it was agonizing. And um, I had a breakdown in front of a client. (laughs) Like, I was in so much pain. I started crying in front of a client. And I don't like to cry in public, but I I did. And she looked at me and she was like, well, what's going on? And I I just let it all out. I never talked publicly or with anyone really about what I was dealing with or what the diagnoses were. But she listened to me and just smiled. And she said, do you know what I do for a living? It's like, no, I have no idea. I'm sorry. And she said, well, I'm a counselor for people who are disabled. Wow. Right. Like it was just one of those moments where it was like clouds break, sunlight comes through. It was, if I was religious, I would believe it was a modern day miracle. And, um, she asked me what the worst thing would happen if I told people I was sick. And I said, I'm terrified to lose my business. I built this from nothing. I love it. Um, I ended up losing it anyway, but not because I was, you know, not because people stopped hiring me. It's because I had to. And she said, you know, if you just come out and you're honest with people, I think they'll love you enough that they'll keep coming. And it was the most frightening thing in the world to come out as a spoonie. Like, (laughs) I have other friends who are secret spoonies. And we've talked about this, about how hard it is to come out of the closet and admit to the world and everyone that you have a weakness. And that's hard. And scary to show the little pink shivering underbelly. (laughs) Um, And I think that's a lot of why I started um, Invisible Not Broken is, I mean, part of it is, I think we are, a lot of us are invisible. Those of us who are stuck in bed, who are um, stuck in wheelchairs, we talked about, I think during your interview, um, how few people you see in New York in wheelchairs. 
Um, and yep. I know out here, like we almost, I, I don't take the wheelchair out into cities because it's not safe. And um, I feel like we are the missing in a lot of ways. And I feel like we, we also aren't that broken. Like we're still smart. We still have a lot to contribute. We just need to, to find ways like, like this to, to talk to each other and to, to contribute. So that's why I started this. Um, and the success for me has really been like the nice people who send me emails. <laughs> and, um, that's been, that's been so rewarding is to get the emails when I feel like I'm going to quit or when I feel like I'm just too sick to even do this. Like you were so sweet. Like when I told you, I was, I was just like, I'm not sure how much more I can do of this. And you're like, no, you have to. And, um, things like that really keep me going when I don't know if I have the energy to do it. So I think that's like, that's probably why I started this. Um, so I want to transition over to for I want some advice anyway. So <laughs> I'm going to go to you with this one. Um, how do you plan for the brain body breakdowns? Because we all know that they happen. <laughs> how do you plan for that? Plan for and address our... <laughs> Those are two separate things. That's something I do except trying to keep myself as healthy and prepared as possible. I think we talked uh, about some of these last time, but generally working out as much as I can and doing uh, physical therapy to stabilize my joints, knowing that they won't necessarily get better, but to manage and make sure they don't get worse. Hopefully. Yeah, that, uh, that. <laughs> working on it, uh, because I think you have said and a few others have said that maybe I do have EDS and I, it might be progressing. I am not a doctor for anyone who's wondering. Yeah, she just I, has symptoms that sounded like what I was well, dealing with I, them. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is I have loose joints, they hurt, and they're getting worse. Yeah. So I'm trying to do something about that. At least keep them as they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stability. So that's how I prepare for physical breakdowns, I guess, is really just trying to be as healthy as possible. I'm sorry, that's not great advice. No, I think that staying like, even just like making sure you're lifting weights is a good advice. Like even if it's one or two pound weights, like stabilizing joints is great for everyone. (laughs) I'm strong. That that helps with just random things in life. So uh, being strong and understanding uh, stabilization, since I can't do dynamic movements often because my joints, uh, it saved me from probably a lot of injuries because I have loose joints. Yeah. So for instance, I'm going to tell you guys what I did on New Year's Eve, which is crazy. <laughs> I found myself at a punk concert. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Mosh pits. Freaking crazy. <laughs> um, I used to do this actually in, um, high school, despite me being a ballerina wearing pink all the time. I used to go to like punk and ska concerts. Uh, so when we found ourselves in this place, I was like, I'm so excited (laughs) and stuff. Uh, so there were, so I'm in the mosh pit. I went right in the adrenaline's going and there are people crowd surfing. Oh my God. People (laughs) above me. And I'm like, you know, (laughs) holding them above me and I am stable. Like I am working out, like I am bench pressing and I was like holding my core and I'm like, I can do this <laughs> and um, making sure my joints are stable so people can fall. But even when I was do that, I was trying to, I was very conscious despite me having alcohol and the adrenaline rush, what I was doing with my body to make sure no one ruined me for life. Yeah, that. <laughs> Something like that could totally just destroy me. Like I could have broken a limb or, or something in a way that was irre- irreparable. 
words again? You know, we'll just make them up. It's all, <laughs> if it worked for Lewis Carroll, it can work for us. We're all good. Sure. <laughs> um, and then, and then, on top of all this, I decided I wanted to crowd surf myself. <laughs> that seems like a totally reasonable thing to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I went up to the stage. I stood on the stage put my arms in that big Y, like the Y, Yep. <laughs> faced my back to the audience, mm-hmm. and then did what you see in movies, and I just fell back into the crowd, and it worked, and it was wonderful, exhilarating. And then when I got down, you know, my husband's there, he's, he's also a doctor, and he was like, what are you doing that is so dangerous? You are fragile. <laughs> like, you know, if you, know you guys what? ever come out here, we need to get our yeah. husbands together, because they can discuss the see wives who do things that are not supposed to be done. Yeah. So I hope I'm not being insulting in that, you know, I guess I can do certain things like that. Should I have? No. (laughs) I still have done that. And my 27-year-old self is putting a cap on those kind of scenarios. I'm glad I did it again as an adult, but oh Lord, that was, it was not smart. I am very lucky, very lucky that I was okay. I I am never felt more boring in my life. <laughs> I watched Doctor Who on um, on New Year's and uh, went to bed in uh, Tardis pajamas. So that was my excitement. Well, that sounds good to me. It was it was absolutely fucking awesome. It was exactly what I wanted to do. Jane Austen, Doctor Who. I am good. That is that's as much excitement as the spoonie can handle. <laughs> I like it. That's yeah. also what happens when you have kids and you're at home with the kids on New Year's, you know? It's, well, it's I will probably have kids in the relatively <laughs> future, so that might be true of me, too. So uh, do your crowd surfing now. Yeah, I did my crowd surfing. It was fun. Un- unforgettable night. It was wonderful. Bringing in 2018 the right way, but I'm still <laughs> aware of my limitations, and I got lucky. Yeah. Uh, but I get get on this topic by in terms of preparation, and I do know that me being strong helps that. Yep, and being very aware of my body. So I guess that would be a, a way that I prepare. Um, but when it comes to having a breakdown, um, mentally and or physically, actually, if I have one physically, it will be mental. <laughs> <laughs> they go hand uh, in hand. You know, just putting myself in the ultimate comfort zone and letting it all out. Like not holding it in and not feeling bad about myself, just letting myself feel bad. That's so, a really good distinction. Yeah. So I'm not like, oh, woe is me. You know, I'm terrible. I have this illness. It's more like, oh, I feel awful. Let me do anything to relieve this. Yeah. Uh, I'm having a serious fibro flare up. That means at least 24 hours in bed uh, and just drinking a lot of water and sleeping as much as possible. By the way, side note, you don't know this. I had one Friday. Oh, boy. Yeah, and I honestly don't have what I call, like, comatose fibro flare-ups very often. In fact, they probably only happen a couple times a year. Uh, so I'm very lucky in that way. Um, I had one Friday for reasons I do not know whatsoever. Um, and uh, then I, my stomach was distended. For the next 24 hours. Oh, yeah. I remember that text. Yeah. And I was like, what's going on? I looked at least six months pregnant. I am oh. not exaggerating. And, uh, and, and on top of all this, Saturday was my bridal shower. That's not going to give any interesting questions when you have a descended belly at a bridal shower. No one's going to ask yeah. any weird yeah. questions there. 
Um, yeah. And I mean, like I couldn't put on my dress. It was oh, terrible. Man. <laughs> I was, I was upset. I snapped at my mom. Oh. I was like, what can I have? Um, someone I was on like this spoony forum and people, a bunch of people said, go get gas X, extra strength. <laughs> just do anything to get it out of your body. Oh uh, man. Like my bridal shower helped me. Um, and my mom wasn't going to go do it because it was still snowing a bit. And I got, <laughs> I feel bad for doing this, but I basically yelled and was like, nothing is more important right now than oh, this. Oh, you bridezilla, you. <laughs> oh I am not a bridezilla. I'm very proud of that. But I was just like, no, <laughs> I know. And, and then, so I started putting on my boots and I was like, I'm going, I don't care if I'm hunched over in the car. I'm going to go get this. Uh, and then she's like, no, just I'll go do it. <laughs> it's fine. But yeah, that's like one of the weird things about like running anything like a business or even the podcast is the unpredictability of these these current conditions you could have a big networking event where you're supposed to give a speech or a talk in front of people and all of a sudden you look six months pregnant or you can't get out of bed but like one of the big things that I started doing the Skype was because I, I used to meet people at my house I used to have everyone come over and I would do the recordings but my recording area is up a little bit of a of our hill in the backyard and I couldn't always make it up there anymore mm-hmm. so I started just doing the Skype things because it was like I gotta. I have to change things up, otherwise I can't do it. So, like the only things I do in person anymore is when um, Kiros comes over and we do the panels together at the house. And even that's like, I think the last two um, episodes where he and I did panels, you can actually hear my like hip pop out in the middle of it, <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, that's a crunching sound there. So it's like this constant like reevaluation of can you still do what you're doing? And there's no predictability to it. Woof. it's so true though and and I didn't even think about that honestly uh so my wedding is coming up in May by the way everyone I call him my husband it's a long story um (laughs) unofficially married but um (laughs) whatever (laughs) I'm getting married in May and you know we're prepping for the big event and I never thought to myself what if I have a flare-up yeah it even cross my mind and so with this whole brighter bridal shower debacle I was like oh geez this is totally a reality especially with the stress yeah. that comes from wedding and I'm going to have a dress that fits perfectly <laughs> and of I'm, course you are <laughs> yeah make sure of that uh oh and and of course you know with this this stomach distension it was very painful it wasn't just like hello belly it was I was cr- like yeah over I wasn't um couldn't stand up straight. Uh, it was awful. Uh, also to note that the gas X did not help. I actually, <laughs> so uh, any of you <laughs> that, yeah, just so you know, I'm not saying it doesn't, I'm just saying it <laughs> helped me. Um, but what did help me was I happen to have an aunt who's Korean and she makes all this incredible vinegar, you know, like when you have, um, really natural apple cider vinegar, it's highly recommended. Yeah. So she all kinds of vinegars, uh, and they have been kind of miraculous. I've heard this from so many people now, hers in particular. She had me drink three glasses, I mean, diluted also by water, and in an hour, my pain was gone. Wow. Okay, so you know what you do for your wedding if things go bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I was able to have the bridal shower, and no one noticed. And I was so like, you've mentioned you- before, like, I don't know if you do this, but I see it on, like, Facebook, because I follow you on Facebook, um, that you're doing, like, networking events and I remember when I was you know 
a little healthier and younger, I would do the networking events, but then they were always at night. And it was like, <laughs> this is go- and going to be very interesting to see how I, I managed to handle the evening. How do you, how do you do that? How, or do you, have you ever had a problem with that with the nighttime networking stuff? Uh, actually that hasn't been an issue for me, the networking stuff in the evening, because luckily I am very social. Uh, but when it comes to working at night, uh, that's very difficult for me because I get stimulated <laughs> by conversation yeah. at the end of the night. Talk about spoons being gone after a networking <laughs> event. They're gone. They're totally gone. <laughs> yes. Uh, so like if I want to take down people's you know, start drafting those emails or take notes about all the people I need to reach out to that always gets postponed and sometimes gets postponed out of my task list because of that. So, so yes, I do get tired, but after the event. Yeah. I always tell people like, you have to contact me. I'm so sorry. It's not like I'm trying to be rude, but if someone wants to follow up, it's like, you cannot put that on. I will not. I'm my bad. It's all my fault, but I will forget. It'll go off my task list. Yeah. But there's have, this weird like pain killing effect of like being around people, like even like during talks or like when I was a photographer in a photo shoot, I wouldn't feel it until afterwards. Right, yeah. I you mentioned that before. Because we're on. Yeah. We're we're we are performing uh when we're working, uh and be, and because I am luckily an extrovert, I'm performing whether I like it or not. Yeah. And so, and, and actually, if I've had a really good event, it's even worse, <laughs> <laughs> which is bizarre to me. I feel like more relaxed if the event was a, a flop or, or I didn't, I just didn't get as good connections as I wanted. And this is true, by the way, with any meeting, not just network meeting. It could be with one person yeah. and we've created this amazing plan to move forward and we've established a great partnership, whatever it may be. When I'm done with that meeting, I take a really deep breath and I'm like, Oh my God, I just want to be laying in the bed using my brain. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 I always feel sorry for my husband. Cause like I met, he'll see me with other people. It's like, I'm all sparkly and chatty and like alive. And then it's like, he gets me afterwards or I'm like, don't, <laughs> I, we can watch doctor who maybe I might be able to follow it, but I I'm gone. Done. <laughs> He's so patient with that. I feel so bad because <laughs> I also have two kids. I need to be, um, I wouldn't say on for, cause it's not just, it's not something else, but they require in like, I have a teenager and a 10 year old who require a lot of, um, different emotional things and different levels of being there. Yeah. So it's, um, I know that's not part of our work chat, but I feel like work and family, it's, it's not something you can divorce. You can't separate those parts of the life completely. At least I, I tried not to, even when I was working really hard. And that was always the, the big compromise with working 80 hours a week. Yeah. I mean, really, absolutely. I mean, before this call, I was, I was talking to my husband because I was struggling with uh, some concepts of my career yeah. and I just, I sat him down and I was like, I, I need to talk to you about this stuff because I'm not sure how to get a handle on it. And, uh, he's just there for me, even if it is to say nothing, but I love you and I'm here for you. And something I actually just want to say to everyone is if you don't have a romantic love, yeah. that doesn't mean that you don't have that kind of support system or that you can't build that kind of support system. Um, through love that's just not romantic. Thank you for saying that. That's a good point. Yeah, we're very lucky. We happen to have found these diamonds in the rough who 
uh, who are there for us mm-hmm. full and uh, despite our illnesses. And actually, I feel like if anyone finds any of us find <laughs> uh, someone to, to marry or spend our lives with, uh, they've got to be that way. As in, like, I don't think you'd be with them otherwise because uh, it's either they're going to be supportive and there for you or they're not. Yeah. And you said you experienced that, you know, so. It's a good uh, weapons test, chronic illness. You will know pretty oh, fast if someone's going to be there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but as, as I was saying, whether it, come, whether it be friends and or family, just having love and support in your life is what matters. It doesn't need to be someone who lives with you. It doesn't need to yeah. be someone who is a romantic love. I mean, there are obviously times in my life where I didn't have him. I didn't have romance in my life, uh, but making sure that I water those relationships that I really care about and um, I be whatever kind of support I can be for them as well uh, and obviously being vulnerable with them. And that's the hard thing and one of the most important things I think is finding someone you can be vulnerable with. Like we can come across this so fucking strong. I mean we have to be to survive this level of pain every day or this level of of dealing every day. I have to be super strong and I have to have someone I can break down in front of. And anyone who has like looked at my life, I when I was running my business, people had a very clear thought process of who and what I was and it wasn't accurate. Um it was like, oh, you're the superwoman, you're creative, you're running a business, you are raising kids, you're a wife, you're doing, you're superwoman. I'm like, oh God, no, 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 no. <laughs> you have not seen me break down because I guarantee you it happens a lot and it's not pretty. And um, if you don't have at least, a, like even my best friends have been there for me and my dogs have been there for me when I've broken down. <laughs> I mean, poor little pug and dire wolf. Um, oh. But you're so right. Like you have to have, Someone that you feel safe enough with to have that little shivering pink underbelly. Yeah. Actually, um, something I haven't talked about a lot with Wellacopia is right now we, we match patients and practitioners essentially both ways. Uh, but from the very beginning, even before the beginning, we had a request to match um, patients and patients or seekers and seekers, as we say, because the camaraderie, that, that support, um, maybe even romantic support. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Um, um, you know, there's such a demand for that. It's something we all need. And we all, I think we all need, even if we have it, we could always use more. Uh, I just wanted to make it clear, depending on when someone's listening to this, that that will absolutely be um, a feature uh, of Wellacopia. We decided to launch with like being really focused on the mission. Uh, We already have community chats, which are great. So people can absolutely connect. Uh, But the whole seeker to seeker and even specialist to specialist matching is on our radar and it will be happening very soon because uh, as we said that's it's a big chunk of the game the you, what were we saying the the health mate and the <laughs> mate or friend mate whatever i'm losing it <laughs> we, will, we will get through this i promise so like eva's just been getting through the flu i have four dislocations this morning so we are powering today <laughs> uh, yeah. it's okay deep breath we're, we're fine we can do this <laughs> No, but you you make such great points about the support and um, even like with Facebook, like having the groups, the 
the support groups on Facebook for other Eller Stainless, it's like, I feel like it's so wonderful to have other people that you have that me too moment with. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to explain chronic pain to them. You don't have to explain everything. They just, they get what it's like to be in pain every day or they get what it's like to have to limit your life more. And it's not something that you have to try to find the right words to say. And there's something really healing about having that. Which is probably the reason I want to talk to you about like business owning while trying to like keep your body together. <laughs> so I wanted, I wanted that me too moment also. Like it's such a weird thing. And I think there's just so few people to click in with on that. There definitely are. Oh. And uh, you know, it's funny. I haven't spoken to many spoony business owners myself. Now that you think of it, uh, I guess those other companies that I've connected with to possibly collaborate. There are a few. Uh, I'm speaking to this company called One Record where they do like really simplified EMR systems. Oh, um, yay. EMR, yeah. so a medical... Uh, electronic medical records. Nice. And, uh, they're now actually kind of focused on the Spoonie community because uh, one of the founders is in fact that way. I think that's how we found each other. Um so there, there are, they are definitely out there, but we don't actually discuss how being spoonies affects us as like business. I'm going to say business women because I think we are all women that have spoken to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's men. If you are, please feel free to comment. Yeah. A lot of crones in men. That is a definitely yeah, something. I've noticed but, that. Yeah. And anyway, uh, so yeah, so I have actually met a few, but we still don't talk about it. Yeah, because that's which is scary. interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it's scary. It's like, oh, you know, here I am, a CEO, CEO and uh, I have a chronic illness. I'm not telling you any more than that. <laughs> well, how vulnerable I am. It also gets, I don't know what it's like in New York. I've only visited once or twice. Um, but out here, Silicon Valley, killing it is the phrase. Like, you are killing it. And it's like, no, no, I'm being killed. <laughs> it's not me killing the business. I am the one who is like living dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, I can't be that person anymore who's killing it. Like, I'm, I'm barely moving. And that's the thing that, like, is the most frustrating for me is I know where I want Invisible Not Broken to go. I have a very clear vision. I have no idea if I'm going to be healthy enough to push it there. So it's um, frustrating. I'm your sport. I know, and I love you for that. <laughs> you and Kiros, man, the two of you, every time I've like been like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. You guys are like right behind me, pushing me from the back, going, you can do it. <laughs> but there are like, there are some real dark nights of the soul with this where like I had, um, I think it was two weeks I was in bed um, last month and it was like, <laughs> I, I hadn't even seen the front of my house for two weeks and just even having the energy to, as each episode takes about four hours to process. And that's, um, I know it doesn't sound like a lot to people like, oh, it's just four hours a week. But for me to sit up for four hours to get all the show notes linked and together and then to handle the social media stuff. And then I, of course, like to whine on my blog. Uh, it's, it's a lot for someone like me. And I know that I want it to be bigger and I want it to be more community based. Like I want more co-hosts. I want more voices in this. I don't want it to just be my voice. Um, but that's my frustration is I'm, I'm scared at how much um, my body's going to limit my dreams for this. Yeah, that's definitely a scary thought. I think we all face, uh, I mean, whether it be our own businesses or jobs or family life, 
not knowing what the future holds and just having a taste of it right now. Yeah. Or, I mean, we have our pain now, but taste of maybe how bad it can be. I know when I have flare-ups, I think to myself, I understand, ugh, terrible to say, but I understand why uh, a lot of Spoonies are depressed and often think about suicide. Yeah. I, <laughs> sorry, that's, that's No, please don't be sorry. <laughs> I luckily don't suffer from depression. Um, I really don't take that for granted because I have a lot of friends that suffer from depression, not to mention most Spoonies I've come across have depression, uh, and I don't, and that's amazing. And I've actually never had suicidal thoughts. Something else that apparently doesn't exist, like having been through adolescence. But uh, but I I get it when I'm in that state, when I'm at my rock bottom, and man, my one day puts your two weeks to shame. So, <laughs> other way. <laughs> no, no, I like the first way. It was cute. I loved it. But, <laughs> but. In those moments, I think about what it would be like if I was like this all the time. Yeah. And I can't fathom it. And then I think, what if in the future that happens, or at least somewhat happens, how am I going to have a career? How am I going to have kids? And uh, (laughs) clearly doing it. So you are killing it in in ways. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, killing it. I I have killed my shoulder, my hip, my tibia. My feet. Yeah, no, because I I do have depression. I do get clinical depression, and um, it's not something I've ever really spoken about openly. And I'm trying really hard to start talking about it because, um, as I've talked to more people, they're like, "Oh, but I have that too." And I'm like, I really, honestly believe that the more we openly discuss things, the more we can help other people. Like hiding shit, I don't I don't think that helps anyone. So I do try to be super open, and that is something I've dealt with is the depression. And, um, I don't want to scare you cause you're so much younger and you're so shiny and bright and adorable, but <laughs> I've, um, I like every, every year or so I look at my husband and like, fuck, this was what I was better last year. And every time I'm like in the middle of it, I'm like, I can't handle anymore. I can't, I can't handle more pain. I can't handle more dislocations. I just can't. And every year it gets worse and every year I do handle it. So I don't know if that's if that's good, bad, or indifferent, but um, no, it's, and it is. You adjust. It's like it's like having kids, where people are like, I, "How the fuck do you have children and run a business?" Or how the fuck? Like when I had my son, I was a graduate student and I worked three jobs and I ran a business. I, I have no idea how I did then. I don't. I honestly don't know. And I was sick too. I had I had all this then and. Um, I think that the ability to adjust is intense in humans. Like, yes, we are good at just stepping up. What's that whole example of a mom lifting up a car for a child? <laughs> never be able to do that otherwise. Okay, uh, but so is also waking do. up at three in the morning every morning for two years. I mean, no one should have to or could be able to do that, but you do. Yeah, we we are truly resilient human beings, even. Even those of us who have these conditions, we are resilient, but we are less, <laughs> we are less than other people in certain ways. So yeah. for instance, you know, with you and, and your joints, you are limited um, yes. to an extent and maybe you could push whatever. You, 
you you are limited, but that doesn't necessarily mean you are as limited in other parts of your life. And uh, something that I'm trying to figure out is where my limitations are. My limitations related to me just not pushing myself and not being as resilient, or are they related to my illness? And that's such a hard question because you have to then separate your illness from yourself. And that's not really possible. They interweave like it is a chronic illness is a huge part of a person's life. There's it affects everything. There's nothing. It doesn't seek its little talents into. And that's not always a bad thing. I mean, it, it does change who you are. And it puts like for me, when I was younger, I always worked really hard and fast and I did so many things quick, and I traveled when I couldn't afford to. <laughs> and I did that all because I felt the clock ticking, and I had a clock right there. And I, I knew I knew when I was 16 that um, I was told I wouldn't walk after I was 30. So I already had an idea of, like, that was going to happen. And a lot of people say that would be bad and awful and not fun, but I don't think I would have gone as hard and fast if I didn't have that clock. I don't think I could have been as brave. Yeah. Well, time, time is of the essence. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, I really do think everyone should live each day to the fullest while, you know, not necessarily going bungee jumping every day, but appreciating (laughs) every day, doing things you love every day, making yourself feel good. Other people feel good. I do try to live by that uh, as often as possible. Uh, and so, you know, I didn't, wasn't given a clock exactly, but once I saw this year in particular that my, oh, New York's ha! going you are on in the city. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised that was the first siren we heard, honestly. <laughs> I'm surprised my chickens haven't started up. You got chickens? I've got chickens. I mean, that was my dream was to have a farm. So I've got chickens, a wolf and a pug and two evil cats. Two evil cats. <laughs> They're perfectly wicked cat. <laughs> it's a great family you got going on. I, you know, I am a country girl. I, I loved New York, but um, 72 hours was about my max for it. <laughs> I get that. I never I never question when someone doesn't love New York. I grew up here, so it's my, my home, but yeah. No, but uh, like you made such a great point about finding joy. Like when I was working way too hard, I actually wrote down a list of things I could do that would make me happy because I found that when I had off time, I was so confused by not having something to do that I would just like almost panic and spin in a circle trying to figure out something fun to do. So I actually kept a list of the fun things to do. And then when I got sick, I wrote down a list of things I could do even when I was sick. And that really helped. It made me hopeful. Like, okay, so I'm in bed all the, like, if I am in a wheelchair, these are things I could still do that I could enjoy. If I am stuck in bed, these are things I can do that I can enjoy. And you're right. You have to like really put those down. Otherwise it can get frightening, really dark and frightening. Yeah. That's a, that's a great idea. That should be a tip for everyone is, uh, (laughs) life hacks, write a bullet list of things that can bring you joy. Yeah, well, and and specifically when you know you're having a breakdown or worst case scenario. Yeah. So maybe it's a morbid thought, but I've actually thought about uh, what if I was in a a wheelchair um, when I was young, before this was as bad as it is today, because I was a ballet dancer. Yeah. So 
I just thought about, you know, really morbidly, what, what would my life be like if I was confined to a wheelchair? Yeah. And I promised myself, hopefully this doesn't happen, but I promised myself that maybe I'd go through a period where I was really depressed and, you know, I have to really adjust, but then I would be like in a movie and I would, <laughs> I would overcome and I would have a brilliant life and make a huge impact on the world and all these things. Yeah, and you know, I, 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 I know I would do that. Yeah. I'm, I know it's easier said than done, obviously, but <laughs> I think I truly believe life is worth living to the fullest, even if it is not what you expected. And I think it is often not what you expected. Not even if you get what you asked for, is it what you expected? Like, I think any parent will tell you that. Like, even if you get everything you said you wanted and started out with, it doesn't look like exactly what you thought it would look like. And that's important. Yeah, yeah definitely. Like, I felt so lucky because, like, ballet was everything to me when I was a, a teenager. It was, I woke up at four in the morning to practice. I practiced every night. I was obsessed. And then when I couldn't do it anymore, I was, I think I was 16 when I was told I couldn't do, I couldn't dance anymore. And it was heartbreaking and awful. And it taught me the most valuable lesson that you, your value is not in what you do. What you do is not who you are. And that has helped me survive all of this shit, like all of this, all the careers I've had to walk away from because I was too sick to do them. I, I don't think I could have done it as well without knowing that that was not who I was. So how do you define who, who I you am? Yeah. <laughs> You're so so if what you me. do isn't who you are. So who are you? No, I, I agree with you, by awesome the way. That's an awesome question. And, like, anyone who wants to, like, really think about this deeply, um, oh, shoot, what is that movie with Edward Norton and um, Brad Pitt? Fight, Fight Club. Club. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was one of the best movies for, like, stripping it down to who you are. Like, you are not your Ikea table. You are not the shows you watch. You are not. And it was, like, just down to who you are. And I'm a storyteller that is honestly who I am. Whatever I've done in my life has been around telling a story. And whether they're true stories or fiction or anything. Um, so when I was little, I was raised by hippies. Awesome, amazing, fabulous hippies. And one of the coolest things my dad ever gave me was when I was five, he told me at <laughs> five, <laughs> he told me that anything can be taken away from you but your imagination. Aww. Everything else can go away. And he told me that the most important thing I could do was to develop my mind and my imagination. And I think that's pretty much who I am. That's, that's, that's what my core is, is imagination and storytelling, because those are the two things that unless God forbid something happens to my brain, (laughs) those are what I've got. And when you're stuck in bed a lot, you have a lot of access to that imagination and that mind. And if you're not going to go insane, you have to make that that brain a window into possibilities and creativity. And I was lucky enough that I had people to lead the way. My father's very sick. He has um, COPD and he's pretty much bed bound. And he's taught me how to still be joyful even when you have no mobility. My great aunt who passed away went blind before she died and she was very much bed bound. And each time she rose to another level of, but I can do this. I'm fine. <laughs> and she did. She started a seniors group in her senior home. Of, and so I just, I had these amazing people to lead the way and show me that 
Um, when your body breaks down, if your brain's still there, you've got a lot. So yeah. that was a long way round to your answer there. <laughs> no, that was a great answer. Uh, I, I think everyone really should ask themselves that. What, what are they at their core? And even though it can be defined as something you do, it's more like what's innate about you. Well, then it would be, why do you do it? I think you could get to Mm, who you are through that. Like if, if why you're doing it is because like why I do this is I'm a storyteller. Why someone else does this is me because that their entire world is going to be about taking care of others. Like, I, I think you can get to that answer, but I agree with you. It's an important question because if what you do is going away, you still need something to hold on to. You still need that life raft. Yeah. So for instance, if, if, you know, if you got a brain, you can always be a storyteller. You, oh, oh what is that? Bell jar and the butterfly. Is that what Sylvia Plath? No, that's not the right book. <laughs> <laughs> we are two memory ah, people. With butterfly. There's a book I'm thinking of. This is really embarrassing. Um, where a man wrote this beautiful novel. When Breath Becomes Air? With Ale. What is it? When Breath Becomes Air? Don't know if that's it either. Oh, but Diving you- Bell and the Butterfly. Yes! Thank yes! you. <laughs> I started basically reading next. books about Spoonies <laughs> before I knew what they were, in, in a sense. Um, that He blinked his, his way through a novel. Yep. Uh, my dad used to use that example all the time. Yeah. Uh, that, that story has stayed with me forever, despite me not remembering the name. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the core of it stayed with you. That's the important thing. And I don't even remember why it's called that, which is probably why I don't remember the name. I need to reread that book. Uh, you Everybody know, you might want to. It, it's great. <laughs> and may I suggest um, Siddhartha, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, by Herman Hesse? Hesse? I, I'm bad at pronunciations, but uh, that was one of the ultimate books in how to uh, define yourself. And I also thought it was the best book on parenting. Wow. I have heard of it. That I will add that to my list. It's one of my resolutions is to create <laughs> books to read, which may be a bit ambitious, but I'm giving myself the room to play with time and whether or not I actually complete that list. It, I just wanted to compile a list of books that I thought were going to be um, – well, and impactful on my life, um, most of which are not fiction. <laughs> We're going to have to do a Spoonie book club and start recording those because Ooh. this could be fun. And I know Spoonies that have written books, so yeah, I'll tell you too. I mean, the book I wrote would is a children's book, so maybe we'll leave that one alone. But I want to read it anyway. <laughs> no, but like um, these books and uh, applying them to survival, mental, emotional, physical survival. Like um, when breath becomes air, rocked my fucking world. Like, and I read it right before we found out that my uncle was dying of the same disorder. So that was a hard read, but it was a beautiful read. Wow. Yeah, sometimes uh, things are just timed that way. and Interesting how that works. Yep, it's happened to me a lot in my life. <laughs> how the world prepares you for what you're going up against really, really does. But like, I feel like, this, like you get pebbles, and then you get stones, and then you get bricks, and then you get boulders hurled at you. It's like you will learn one way or another. <laughs> so we're hitting an hour, if you can believe that. And I know you had things you had to do. But I will totally kidnap you if you keep talking to me. Always love talking. (laughs) 
It I think fun. after our last interview, we went over another hour. Uh-huh. No, I think it was an hour and a half. I ended up meeting your husband on Skype. I mean, someday we we're going to have to either meet in the middle of the country or we're going to have to like visit each other or something. We're going to have a Skype date. A dinner date all for us. Or we'll start like a Spoonie book club and we'll just like have these big Skype meetings with some of our other listeners, which we are now like actually getting listened to in Estonia and China what? and Russia tuned in. I was like looking at the analytics today going, this is really awesome. So welcome everyone. <laughs> I am so glad this podcast is better traveled than me. I guess they should uh, comment on the, the site and below whether or not they want to do the Spoonie oh, book club. yes, please comment. <laughs> comment on other topics, too. Is, um, I get tired, and I don't always think of all the topics to talk about. <laughs> so always chat with us. But we are going to sign off with our usual be kind, be gentle, and be a fucking badass. And we will see you guys next week. Thank you so much for joining us this week for the panel discussion. And if you enjoy these panel discussions, please tweet at us or leave something in the comments about different topics you'd like for Kiris and I or Eva and I to cover. We are always looking for some great topics. Next week, I'm going to be talking to someone who is going through the journey of trying to find a diagnosis. She is sick. The doctors are not able to tell her what she has. And I am sure so many of you can really relate to that. So please tune in. And we are a baby podcast. It means the world to us when you share us with friends or family or people you just want to understand the whole spoony life and chronic illness life better. Please share us. Please press subscribe. Say really embarrassingly nice things about us on iTunes. So until next week, be kind, be gentle, and be a badass.